Hey you guys, this is the Couplings Fire Podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Taylor, a volunteer firefighter and also a firewife to my favorite firefighter. Join me as I talk anything and everything fire-related. I don't claim to be an expert. I just love to talk fire, and everything I say is my own opinion. My goal to inspire anyone listening to take the steps to bettering their department however they can. Let's get on to the episode. Hey you guys, welcome back to another episode of the Couplings Fire podcast. I'm Taylor Anderson. I'm going to be here talking to you about whatever I have to talk about each week. (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting intro. How are you guys doing? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm doing great, actually. I'm doing pretty good. Um, a lot of good things have been happening. A lot of things have been trending in the right direction. New opportunities and life is not taking me where I expected it to take me, right? It's taking me in a completely different direction. Um, and I'm okay with that. It's, it's hard for me because I am like, I'm kind of a control freak. I kind of like to know where things are going and I like to have a plan. I love to have a plan. Plans are my thing, right? And it's okay if things don't go according to plan, but I better have planned other things to help with that when it goes crashing and burning or whatever it is or going off the path, right? Like, that's just who I am. I like to have different options available to me. And yeah, that I don't know how to best explain that, but that's who I am. Well, right now it's not going according to any sort of plan. (laughs) And I am learning my best just to let go and hold on for the ride and see where God and life takes me. And I'm actually liking where it's trending at the moment. Um, Not perfect. It's not exactly where I want it to be or where I still think it should be. But you know what? We'll we'll see what happens, I guess. (laughs) But anyways, a couple little updates for you guys this week. So... Uh, as you're listening to this, I am actually at the Les Lukert Winter Conference in Carter, Nebraska right now. Um, I'm sure I'm having a great time. I think I'll be bouncing back and forth between the hot class and the classroom session we have for Friday today. Uh, that's that's probably where I am. So I'll, we'll see if I am able to post any updates on my Instagram and Facebook pages of kind of like what I'm up to for the weekend. So if you're interested in that, go check those out. Otherwise, check out the NSFSI the Nebraska Society of Fire Service Instructors. They have Facebook and Instagram pages as well. Um, and I'll be posting on there too and just showing everybody what's happening for the weekend. And if this is a conference that you would like to attend in the future, it is held the first weekend in February every year in Carney, Nebraska. I urge you to to go ahead and you know save the date, reserve it in your calendars for next year, keep aware of it, and, and plan to join us. It's, it's always a fun time. We, we love bringing in instructors from all over the country and even locally here to this conference. And we are so happy to have, to have attendees, not just from Nebraska, but also from Kansas, from Iowa, from, from across the entire U.S. even. It's not just here in the Midwest that we get people from. Um, that's actually how one of our instructors for this year got started. He actually took a road trip with, with friends from Tennessee to come see us. So if you, if you have an, an interest in, in coming to this next year, or if you have an interest in teaching for this next year, we would love to have you. So anyways, I'm probably having a lot of fun. I, I really, I get sucked into these fire conferences. They, they definitely re-energize me. And it's been a little while since I've been to one. <laughs> so I, I can't wait to see how my perspective in the podcast or like my energy changes when I come back from it. It'll be really exciting to see. It'll be really good. Uh, so for my last update for the wedge program for January, uh, if you guys had followed that, if you haven't followed it, here's a little quick rundown of what it is. Basically the wedge program was created by Bill Dungy and it is, there's, there's more to it, but more or less it's a, a goal setting program. It helps you uh, specify what goals you want to achieve and set them and have you work through it to reach those goals by the end of a certain time frame. Um, we chose to do a month and we actually, Bill actually put together a group 
of us on Instagram to to do this. And it was a it was a fantastic opportunity, a fantastic um, to group to be in and something to experience something different. It's definitely a different way of attacking goals than I had previously done. And I liked it. I really liked it a lot. Now, if you guys listened to the last episode, you know that I had some thoughts and feelings on my, my, uh, progress in the, in the goals. And, um, since then I have been working at it harder. (laughs) I have been choosing to, to work on those things and it's hard. I am not going to lie to you guys. It's hard. It's difficult. It shouldn't be. It should be easy. We know what to do, right? But it's hard sometimes to choose those goals over relaxation or other things. But I've been working on them. My goals for the month were the body goal was, you have three goals. You have body, mind, and craft. And so my body goal was to do 10 push-ups. And I know that sounds like not a lot, but you know what? I've never really been good with upper body strength. I can work out for an hour, but that's all cardio. Putting in body strength is different. It's different for me. And the first week, I did kind of terrible at it. Starting to work on some of the things, some of the, uh, I don't know how you call it, baby steps. I don't know. Stepping stones, advancements to push-ups, whatever. I started working on that. So I started actually like doing high reps of wall push-ups, right? So like not very much weight obviously is just against the wall, but right. But I did high reps of it to get my muscles ready. And then I went and I did, um, against the stairs. And so more of an incline. And then I did full ground ones. So from the first week to the second week, I saw a huge improvement. It was ridiculous how much of improvement there was actually. Um, and then missed a couple weeks because I was sick <laughs> and kind of lazy, honestly, I'm not going to discount that, but uh, got back into it, and I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet still, but I have improved from that second be- benchmark. I would like to do them more consistently. I'd like to do them more fluidly in a row and not have to take breaks in between. And it's not like I take long breaks, you know, they're like 10 seconds or so, but, or well, I should say probably more like two to six seconds, something like that. I don't know. 10 seconds, actually, when I think about it, it's kind of a long time. I don't think I stopped that long between them, but I would like to have less, less stops. So, um, overall I made really good progress on it. I didn't, I guess, I don't know what, where on that one would have hit my goal. I think it was also a good opportunity to see how I need to come up with new goals for the future because, okay, 10 pushups is great, but 10 pushups in what time frame, right? Cause that's different to every person. Um, that's, that's just, I don't know. Cause like I could say I did 10 pushups in a minute and a half and that's good enough or 10 pushups in 30 seconds is good enough or whatever, you know, like it's, I don't know. I think it need to be more specific on some of my goals. Uh, so that one really opened my eyes to that, but I did improve. And that was what I wanted is to improve on those. And I'm going to be upping, um, upping future goals to, I don't know, Basically, right now I'm getting my benchmarks, which is great because I've never done that before. I've, I've never really been into <laughs> a lot of that kind of working out and stuff. And it's nice to have benchmarks to be able to set me up for the future. Anyway, so I'm looking for better SMART goals in the future for body. Uh, for mind, I did, I was going to read a devotional every day. And I've been keeping up with that one extremely well. There were a couple days I missed, but most days I, I was good and I always made up those... I always, I always made up those devotionals, at least on the next day. So, but I I can really tell it sets me in a better mood and a better um, path for the rest of the day. It's just so different. I mean, I've always like woken up and I usually play music or a podcast or something, right? So I always, I usually kind of wake up in a good mood. But with this, I don't know, it just centers me better. It's what I needed. And I like it. And it's going to be something that I keep up even without having to have it be a specific goal because I've gotten used to it and I love it. And then for my craft goal, I was doing two hours per week of initial size up and first two operations, first two assignments, I guess, uh, for crews. And this is something that, um, yes, I know how to do and I knew how to do for a while, but I was not very confident in it. And after doing that, in some weeks I didn't do two hours. I only do an hour and a half, so I'd have to move that half hour to the next week. 
Um, I'm happy to say that at the end of it, I've completed all my hours on time. <laughs> Overall, they're all done for the month. And I don't think it's something I'm going to do two hours a week anymore. It is a lot of time, actually. Uh, but it's something I'm going to do more often because I saw myself becoming more confident overall in my decision making, in my reasonings behind it. And I don't know, I saw that improvement. I like it. And I know it's like any skill. If you don't lose it, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. And I want to keep, keep up on that at least every so often, every few weeks or something, just go over some more, keep practicing it, keep going over it. You know, what's the worst that could, that could happen? I get too confident in it? I don't know. <laughs> but um, in my brain, I just, I can't, there's there's no getting too good at, at scene size up and first two assignments. I feel like, you know, why not? So, so that's where the wedge program ended. Um, so yeah, so if you want to check out the wedge stuff, it is completely free to do. Bill actually has a download of the PDF for it, and it explains it more. Um, if you go back to one of my earlier episodes, episode 44, I actually have a whole interview with him, and we talk about what it is and how it's set up and things like that. But if you want to actually download it for yourself and see, uh, you can find it at timeandeffort.ca um, at that website. Uh, Bill actually just came out, I believe it, I believe it's released, well, not today, today, but today that I'm recording it, February 1st, he came out with it today, uh, so that is sixfeet.ca, find that website, and, um, I'm actually excited to check it out, I haven't checked out the website yet, I haven't had time today, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you guys first, so, so we'll see, I, mean, I don't know, I'm curious what it is, so can't wait to go see that. So if you want to check out the Wedge program, more about it, check out that podcast, check out the website, download the document, you'll find out a lot more about it. Anyways, it was a great experience and I will be doing it again in the future. I just don't know exactly when I'm going to be doing it again in the future. But until then, I will be still having other goals that I set, just not in that same style. Um, okay, so do I have any other housekeeping? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, there's nothing, nothing else crazy. Um, but let's go, let's go into the actual episode for today before I, you know, string you along for too much longer on, on all the intro stuff, on all the housekeeping stuff. So for those of you who have been paying attention for a few weeks, it is finally time, finally time to go over the episode spreading out the responsibilities. Yay! <laughs> Uh, it's really funny. I was actually thinking about pushing off another week because I thought it'd just be hilarious, but no, I, I want to do it. I really do because I think it's going to be a good episode. Um, when it comes to this episode, I want to preface this that some of these things I have done, I've been a part of, I've seen firsthand and I see it work. Some of these things are complete, just random ideas that I had. And have no basis and no confirmation that it actually works. All of this stuff I want you to have an open mind with. <laughs> wow, that makes it sound like this is going to be a really controversial episode. I'm not, this isn't supposed to be a controversial episode, okay? But I just want to let you know, like, don't have my head on these things. These are just things to think about, ideas. And if this episode sparks ideas in you that are different than what I say, that's good. That's fine. I want to give you guys the opportunity to think creatively and to get out of your comfort zone when it comes to responsibilities in the fire service and 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 who does those and why they do it and maybe ways to do it differently. Um, these are probably going to be more easily implemented by volunteer firefighters and fire departments out there. Um, but I think they can be applied both to career and volunteer depending on how your your department's set up and it, I mean, it really just depends. Every, every department's different. Every department's going to run different. And I understand that. And maybe some of these things just really won't work for you. I get it. I do. But, um, yeah, let's just, let's go ahead, jump into it. Let's see how it goes. See where it takes us. So when it comes out to spreading, spreading out the responsibilities, the first thing that got me thinking on this, and it's actually funny because this episode has been in the works for about a year, <laughs> pretty much. This was one of the episode ideas that I had before we even launched the podcast. 
And it's taken me this long to, I don't know, to, to finally put it out there, I guess. I wanted to get more information, more thoughts down on it. But how did we get to the chief, the president, whatever you have, whoever's the top ha- head honcho at your department, how do we get to the point where they do everything? How do we get to that point? You, you know, you go to a department, you walk into any any volunteer department, any career department. Well, maybe not career. I don't know. Like I said, it's different. I'll, I'll tend to be leaning on volunteer because that's where I really see a lot of this happening. But you walk into any volunteer department across the entire U.S. I don't care where you live. I don't. You walk in and... I'm going to say probably about 80% of the time, about 80% of the time, you can guarantee that nothing gets done unless the chief or president, or like I said, whoever tends, whoever tends to be that top person for you, nothing gets done unless they're a part of it or unless they head it up. It's not just they're okay with going forward with it, but they are actually the ones doing it too. They're the ones at the station every night getting things done. They're the ones a project can't move forward until they finish something. How do we get to that point? It it drives me nuts talking to people all across the country. And this is a constant that I see, that I tend to see. And and it's so, it's not needed. And it's sad because it leads to burnout and it leads to our chiefs and... And presidents and stuff, it it leads to them, it leads to them having so much on their plate that they get frustrated easier, that they're always in a bad mood, that, I don't know, people are on eggshells around them almost. And it's just nothing can get done. And if it's not their way, it doesn't get done. The fire service is a team-based organization. And if you don't think so, I'm sorry, but that's my take on it. <laughs> it is a team-based organization. You you don't go do a bunch of things solo in this quote-unquote job that we do, right? You have a team that you work with. You have people you're out there um, going to scenes with. And, of course, we have people who are at the top and the, the chain of command and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But it's a team. That's the only way it's going to work effectively. So how do, how do we get to this way of doing things? How do we get to the to the chief and president does everything way of running things? First thing I see, honestly, is lack of trust. You know, people in these positions, and again, I've never been in these positions. This is just what I've seen and heard from other firefighters and, and chiefs themselves, <laughs> right? This is This is not coming from personal experience from the top, so don't get me wrong there, okay? But they're, they're worried that things aren't going to get done the way they want. They're worried that it's going to be a completely different idea and then things won't work right or they won't like it or whatever it may be. And one of those things to think about just, I understand the lack of trust. I understand it's hard. It's hard to let go of that control. You guys heard me at the beginning of this. And actually, I did not mean to do this for this episode. That's just the way I was wanting to talk when I entered. But... I was talking about how I like to have control of things. (laughs) I I like to have plans for plans for plans. And so if I'm hands off, I don't know what's getting done right. I get it. I I get it. I live it every day. It sucks. (laughs) But we need to all learn not to sweat the small stuff. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right? Did it fit your parameters? And did it actually get done? And that's one thing that's even hard for me to do. Like, okay, it's it's something so simple. Like, uh, Chris is doing, you know, cooking a meal. He doesn't do it that often. I mean, he cooks with me, but he doesn't usually do it on his own. But there are times he does. Right? And when he goes and cooks something, there are often times that I have to bite my lip and not say anything. Because I know I'm bad at this. I really am. And I've, I've been really learning and growing not to do this, but I tend to criticize him or point out when he's doing things differently than what I would have done. 
if he's adding ingredients in a different order or if he's cooking in a different pan that I'm used to for that meal or whatever it is, does it actually matter? Just because it's not the way I was actually going to do it, but he gets, he gets supper cooked and it actually tastes normal. It tastes the same. It, it tastes fine. Or maybe one or two little things are different than I would have done, but it still works. It's still good. And that's something that I, like I said, I have to learn how to do it every day. <laughs> you know, another one is, you know, the worry of laziness. And the worry that the people that we entrust with these tasks won't get stuff done. And it usually comes from a place of it's happened to us before, right? It's happened to us before where we give somebody the responsibility we check them in with them in a week or two or whatever it is, and they didn't ever get it done. And sometimes it just takes that one time, and you just don't want to trust it anymore. Or it happens with different people, and everyone lets you down. And I get it. It sucks. I get it. But one thing, have we communicated the concerns to that person who let us down or who didn't do it? Did you actually have a conversation with them saying, hey, why didn't you do this? I understand things have been busy or you may have a lot on your plate or whatever it is. But why didn't you do this? And have a good conversation about it. It's like I say with every, almost every episode, it seems like now, communication, <laughs> right? A lot of us, when, when something happens, they just like, oh, they're not going to do anything and you just do it yourself, right? You don't ever actually have a good conversation with the person who didn't do it. So that's a good thing just to, you know, have that talk with them. Explain what your expectations are and how they failed at the first time around and give them a chance to do it again. Right? And really explain why it needs to get done and why it needs to get done on time or this way or whatever. And then if you need to explain that if they don't get it done this time, you're not going to ask them to help again or whatever it is that you can't trust them or however that is because of their laziness or because they just are too busy or whatever that, that reasoning be. But you have to have that straight out conversation with them. Otherwise things are not going to get fixed. It's going to keep going the way it's, it's going. If you don't ever tell somebody they're doing something wrong, they're gonna keep doing it because they don't know any better. And that's the difference between intentionally doing something wrong and not knowing any better. You have to communicate that with them they aren't doing it up to your standards. Okay. Then, yeah, if you need to, find someone else, <laughs> right? Find someone else who can do it. I can guarantee you there's at least one person on your department who wants to do something, who wants to do that job, or who would be willing to do that job. Again, they might take some working with. They might take some coaching. But it's worth a shot try to find somebody else, too, sometimes. <laughs> And the kind of last reason that I, I've seen, you know, that we got to that chief or president way of doing everything, you tend to get more recognition if you do it yourself versus using help. And I know most people won't admit that they're the selfish, but you know what? I know I have been myself in the past. It feels good to do something all by yourself without any help and get the recognition for it. It was all you right? It feels good. Let's, let's admit that to ourselves. Let's stop lying and saying we're never like that because you know what? You're human. You are. We are. It's okay. I get it. But you need to be, you need to grow. I need to grow. We all need to grow and get over ourselves and see the bigger picture. And yeah, there are things you can do on your own and there are things you're going to have to do on your own. It's going to happen. But we need to really try to find other people to help us, to find people to get to delegate to and really see the bigger picture of where our department is heading because a department cannot survive. They cannot, maybe they can survive. They can't thrive. They can't grow if only one person is doing everything. That's a lot of stuff, especially if you're just a volunteer. I mean, like, and I, I don't mean that as a derogatory term or anything. Like, I really don't. I'm proud to be a volunteer. But I have a full-time job. I have friends and family. I have other commitments that I do. I have other things I volunteer for. Trying to put all the responsibilities of a fire department on my back, 
or something if I were that chief. That'd be a nightmare. That'd be an entire second job, third job even, or whatever. That's not healthy. And there's just, there's too much to do. You're going to let things slip through the cracks and things are going to start falling apart and you don't want that. So let's, let's go ahead and try to find what, what are some ways to spread out those responsibilities, right? Um, and like I said, this, this is stuff that some of it I've had experience with and some of it are just ideas that I've had no experience with, right? So take it for what it's worth. Take the ideas. I hope this episode makes you think. That's the purpose of this one. All right, so let's talk incident reports. Again, uh, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I'm targeted. This is definitely targeted towards volunteers because I feel like most career departments have a pretty good system of how they do things. And maybe they don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't really know. I haven't been around career departments that much. But who should do the incident reports? A lot of departments I know, the chief or assistant chief does them. Which is fine. I understand because they know how to do that paperwork or whatever it is, right? Or make sure it gets done right. Like we said, the reasons for doing things. <laughs> the reason it got to that way of, of doing things. I get it. But let's spread out that responsibility. I think it should be whoever the was lead officer on that call. Right? And this gives a chance for other people to get accustomed to doing it. Now, I'm not saying a brand new officer or someone who hasn't done it very much does it by themselves and turns it in without telling anybody about it, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let them let them do the entire report, write it up, whatever it needs to be, get it all ready, then take it to somebody else to check over and see if they did it right and see if they need to change anything. And in doing it this way, you start teaching them exactly how to do it then they're going to know from that point on, oh, hey, this is how you do it. And that's less things put on the top people in the organization. And the work starts getting spread down more. And you can even have like, I mean, this is something you, you don't necessarily have to have always the, the lead officer on the call. Yeah, that's great. But what if you have someone who's maybe a more senior firefighter, right? Been on for a few more years, whatever, but like is not a captain yet or an officer, let them do it. Why not? This, teaching them this stuff ahead of time gets them prepared to take that officer seat if it comes up or if they want it or if they get promoted, however it is. And have that lead officer from the call walk this firefighter through how to do it. You know, there could be, there could be calls on our departments where no officers show up, right? I've been on a call like that. I'm sure other people have too. It happens. So who should really be doing the incident reports for it? It should be the person who was most senior on that call acting in the officer seat, right? You never know once that's going to happen. So let's, let's train the people under us to do jobs like these. You know, another option for, uh, for these incident reports and things, a couple thoughts I've thrown around. What about the thought of establishing a quote-unquote outside secretary? In my past volunteer organization, we had outside officers and inside officers. So we had outside was our chief, assistant chief, lieutenants, captains, stuff like that, right? Those were outside officers. Those did all of the incident side of things and whatnot, right? And then we had the the um, inside officers, which was our president, vice president, trustees, treasurer, all that, secretary, everything like that. Those were our inside officers. And they worked together to get things done for the department. So in that case course we had a secretary for the inside but we didn't have a secretary for the outside could that be an option for other departments like that someone specifically set in that spot to take care of incident reports to take care of making sure things get ordered to take care of things like that that have nothing to do with the quote-unquote inside stuff Maybe, maybe the person, maybe the outside secretary takes care of truck checklists. Maybe they take care of, um, you know, when people wash their gear and stuff like that. Maybe they took care of inventory outside, you know, and, you know, in the, in the apparatus space and stuff like that of what you have for equipment. You know, there's, there's a lot of different, different things out there that you could have that outside secretary doing, you know, another option for, for that, you know, what if, 
is that what you have the assistant chief be doing? Is that, could that be their specific job? Yeah, they'd still go on scene and stuff, right? But like, could that be their, their niche of what most of their job entails when it's not coming down to actually being on scene? Maybe. Another way to spread out the responsibilities, you know, looking into training officer or committee and truck maintenance committees or budget committees, your PIOs, public information officers. Are these things, if you don't have them already, that you could implement? So, so why, why implement these committees? Why implement stuff like this, right? You, you, let's say like you don't do a whole lot of, okay, I'm not going to say that, <laughs> truck maintenance. <laughs> Hopefully you do a lot of truck maintenance. But you know, like, okay, what if you don't need a huge budget committee or something like that, right? What if it's only one thing, like you do it once a year, it's not that bad, the chief can do it, right? Like, why should there be a committee for it? Because each little thing that you take off of those top shoulders from those core people that do all those jobs, the easier and the happier your department's going to be. The more it spreads it out to everybody, the work for everybody. It's like, you know, you have 100 bricks to move. You can move the 100 bricks by yourself, which is going to take a while. It's going to be a lot of work. And okay, maybe not a lot for 100 bricks, but you know what I mean. Or you could have 10 people each carry 10 bricks. Which is better? I think the 10 people carrying 10 bricks takes one trip. You're good. You're done. So overall, it releases that pressure from those top people. And of course, when it comes to these committees, when it comes to these positions that you, you know you might have, you still run things by your chief, by your president, by whoever. You know, you don't do things without them knowing it. You know, you see what what they'd like to see that be, what they'd like to see it, you know, how they'd like to see it go and everything. But that person's not burdened with figuring it out. The chief isn't burdened with figuring out how to, you know, do all the press releases and stuff that a PIO should be doing. They're, they're not worried about coming up with the training every single week, right? They're worried about other things that chief should be worried about. But that doesn't mean you get a free pass. You still have to run things by them every once in a while to make sure that you're still heading in the right track to where the department is heading, to where it needs to go. So when you find people for these positions, for these committees, I just caution you to make sure that you find the right people for these positions. Maybe not caution is not the right word, but urge you to find the right people for these positions. Because if you put someone in the training officer's position who maybe they're a good firefighter, but they don't really like to train, I know to me that doesn't make sense, but it's out there. It happens. Is that really a great training officer for you then? Are you really going to be inspiring more people to train and want to be there? What if they're a great firefighter, but they're not really good at teaching? There's plenty of people like that out there. Are they really the best person to choose for training officer? You know, what if, you know, you pick someone for PIO that maybe knows a lot right? They have a lot of good knowledge and information, but they don't know how to talk to the public. Is that someone you should really be putting in that position? Because the PIO is the person that will be doing a lot of things with the public. They will be doing press releases. They'll be explaining things in a way the public understands. Is that who you need there? You know, if you find people who are already drawn to these ways of doing things, and are, are passionate about these things, they're going to make this job so easy. And they're going to take so much pressure off your shoulders. Because they want to be there. They want to do it. They have the passion for it and the drive for it. You just need to steer them in the right direction. Again, check in with them every once in a while, like we just said. But they'll be good. They'll be happy. And let them do what they do best. And... and one more thing to go on with the make sure you find the right people for these positions. Don't put someone in there. Don't force someone in to be there that doesn't have any skills in that. I'm terrible with, with mechanics, right? I, I try to learn. I really do. I, I really try. And you know what? Maybe I could be on a committee for a truck maintenance committee or something, right? And learn. But don't put me in charge of it. Because I am going to fail so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it reminds me of that Albert Einstein quote. 
Uh, everyone is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. This is a great quote. I freaking love this quote. And it applies to me in that situation. If you were to put me in charge of something like that, or even the budget committee, I'm kind of good with numbers. I'd be okay. But you know what? You put me in charge of that committee, and I might do terrible at it, very honestly. <laughs> right? And then it just loses your confidence in me. It loses my confidence in myself. And it wasn't what was best for the department. Now, yes, people have to come in and do those jobs sometimes when they need done. Right? Someone needs to be in there. But if you can find the right people for those jobs, it's going to make it a whole lot easier. Another way to kind of ease up on some of the pressure from the responsibilities is doing things a little at a time, not all at once. So... Back in my previous department, I was in charge of, uh, we have a tax incentive for the state of Nebraska. And every year, if you get X amount of points from doing trainings and responding to calls and doing public, public events and, you know, uh, going to classes and things like that, um, you, you gain points. If you get enough of those, you get a tax incentive uh, on your state taxes every year. And so I was in charge of heading that up. And that's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> it's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of paperwork. And it's a lot of stuff to keep track of. We had almost 30 members. And we practiced every single week in the summertime. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot to keep track of for each person and things like that. And the first year, I did it all at once. And it took me several hours. Probably about five or six hours or so. Like it was a long time all at once trying to get it done and make sure I hit the deadline time. That sucked. That sucked. After, after I did it that way, that one year I said, screw this. I am not doing it like that again. I decided to do it every month, every month at our monthly meeting. I come into meeting half hour or so early. I would go and look at look at our records on the board of who showed up to practices and whatnot. I record on the computer. I'd get it all up to date. And it took me 15, 20 minutes every month. And then at the end of the year, it was really easy <laughs> just to go and print it all out and copy all the information really quick, like super quick, probably half an hour and get it sent in on time. It was fantastic. So much less stress. And I got it. I knew I was getting it done right because I did it every month. It was so nice. So if you can find things like that in other, other areas in the fire station, you're able to spread it out a little bit over time. Maybe you do it once a month. Maybe you do it every week. Maybe you do it once a quarter. Whatever it may be, whatever you have, spread it out. It makes it easier. Another thing to look at is maybe you put more responsibilities on your outside officers. Right? Um... Like I said before, outside officers tend to just be in charge on scene, on things, right? Your captains, your lieutenants, and, and safety officers or whatever you have there, they're usually just on scene, and that's kind of the, the place. And then when they're back in the station, they're just kind of one of everybody else, and they, they do the work, right? Well, maybe put more, more responsibility on them if it's an option. Maybe they keep track of one of these committees, you know, maybe they are in charge of just certain aspects of the station for you. I, whatever, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you put in here. You know, this can really be molded to whatever, but you know, it's another thought of they have the responsibility out on scene, maybe give them not a lot, but maybe a little bit more responsibility back at the station. So let's look into a different, a little different way of, of all this. We've kind of, we've been talking about, you know, ways you can spread out the responsibilities from the top person, right? But now let's look into another problem that I don't see a lot of people seeing. Not, not seeing, but recognizing. That's probably the better word for it. Yeah, recognizing. They don't recognize it. So maybe you have a fire department who really wants to help. Right, you have people who are passionate. You have people who are just just so into it, and they want to be there, and they're there all the time. They want to help, but they don't really know how. 
what what do you do? And you're probably telling me, Taylor, this doesn't happen. People just don't help. People just don't come around, you know, stuff like that. If they wanted to help, they tell me and things. I'm going to tell you, it has happened. This happens, again, in a lot of different departments across the U.S. And I'm, I'm not going to stop with the U.S., probably across the world. So, yes, this does happen. You know, you feel like you would do something wrong if you took initiative, you know. So, okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about a firefighter and they were in this department and they felt like they would do something wrong if they took initiative. So they never started anything or they would never help out without going to approve it first. This, this is a story I've heard told by several different people. <laughs> they got scared. You know, and this can be something as small as cleaning up an area. A small little area in the station. Why? Why would they be scared to clean up an area in the station without asking permission or, or going and okaying it first or whatever? This tends to stem from coming from a scar from doing something wrong. Quote unquote wrong. It's not actually wrong, but quote unquote wrong. They didn't do it the right way, right? Maybe they cleaned up a workbench or something, but then here someone complains later about it changing or something not being where it's supposed to be there or got mad that it got moved to a different way of, you know, being organized or something like that. Or maybe they make the comment that they never wanted to change in the first place and stuff like that. They, they didn't, it didn't need to get cleaned up or stuff like that. That creates a scar on that person. So if you react like that to every little thing that someone tries to do on their own, they're not going to help again. <laughs> they're not going to go out and clean something again on their own because they're worried they're going to do it wrong. And they're worried that you're going to react to that the same way that they just got reacted to. Why would you want that? You're not going to go out there and do things just so you can get scolded. I know I don't. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> so I'm going to keep from doing those things. That's stuff we learn from kids, from growing up, from, from our parents, right? If we got scolded, we knew not to do it again. So that is what we are teaching our members if you do that. And yeah, it can start from something small like that that'll turn into them never wanting to do anything. And maybe something as innocent as washing out the bays in the station, but maybe they got the bays wet when you wanted to do some other training in there and you had to wait for them to dry out or try to find another way to dry them or something, right? And it kind of screwed up your plan for training. It sucks. I get it. I get that it screwed up your plan for training. But if you go and tell them that, hey, you got mad at them for cleaning that bay, they're not going to clean the bays again. Not without asking you about it first or whatever. And then you're going to wonder, why is this place so dirty all the time? In order to keep people with that initiative and with that drive and wanting to help and do things, you have to give them some freedom. You have to steer them, right? Of course. But you have to give them some freedom. So how, how do we become okay with them having some freedom to do things like that? First of all, you teach them and you train them on things so that they understand. If I go clean out a chainsaw, or I, I really don't know how to do this even, right? And this is another one of those things. I've never been taught. I don't feel comfortable going and trying to do it on my own because I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. So if someone takes me to go teach me how to replace a chain, change the oil and stuff like that, clean off a chainsaw, like do all that stuff with it, they're taking that time to invest in me. Then I know how to do it. Then if I want to do something that helps out the department in the future, I know, hey, this is something I can do and I know how to do it. And no one has to tell me in the future how to do it. I've already learned. And sometimes I may need reminding of how to do things because I forget. <laughs> I'm human. People are human. They forget. Sometimes I'll need reminding. But overall, I can go do that thing and not be worried about it. You need to set clear expectations when you teach. That way you make sure these people are doing the things that you want them to do the way you want them to do it. Awesome. Fantastic. You know, they're, they're able to do these things that you train them on 
and and it gets it off your shoulders. It gets them something else to do. You're not always the one who has to be going in and pulling all the trucks out and cleaning the station and pulling it back in or maybe washing a truck on your own on your day off or whatever it is. Because hopefully you've, you've instilled that passion and that ownership in other members in your department to do those things and not scolded them when they do things in a different way than you would have as long as they get the job done that need to get done. Overall, invest in your people. And you know what? Let them make, let them, let them create their own buy-in to it, right? Let them pitch in and make small decisions that don't derail your overall mission. So, so what are some things that they can, they can do, right, that don't derail your overall mission? Maybe they paint your department patch on the wall. That's cool. That's really cool. And if they set it up, if they take initiative and stuff like that, let them do it. Why not? What, do, what does it hurt? It adds morale booster. Let them cl- clean up and organize the offices and areas. Let them create department swag, right? <laughs> we all love t-shirts and jackets and hats and stickers and stuff like that. Let them do it. Let them go out and organize public events for the department. Let them put together a kid's day or a family day. Let them let them go out and have a booth at one of the local um, one of the local festivals or something, right? And just go hang out with kids or try to get try to get more volunteers or whatever it is. Let them organize member outings. Let them say, hey, let's all get together on this night and go out and golf together. Let's go to someone's house and do a state girl night. Let them do stuff like that. And it doesn't always have to be ran by the chief or president. Now, you know, of course, if the department's paying for stuff, that's something you really need to bring before everybody, right, at a meeting or something, and make sure everyone's okay with it, of course. But it doesn't need, it, it shouldn't have to be a decision that is solely based on those top people. It shouldn't be that someone has the idea, but the chief or president has to come up with everything to do it or, or whatnot. Let that stuff be done by your people. They're going to be much more involved, much more happy with the department if you let them. Okay, so we're getting to the last section of this, of this episode here. And this is one of those that I said earlier, I don't have any experience with. This is something I've been thinking about for a while. And I think it's a good idea. I think it could get implemented at some departments. Obviously, other departments won't work. I get it. I don't know how to... I feel like I'm just, like, upping this anticipation way too much (laughs) for this section. But I don't know. I... I kind of want someone else's opinion on it, on, like, how how they think it works or maybe pros and cons to it or I don't know. Just their thoughts on this. So I want to talk about dual chief positions, possibility of doing dual chief positions. What I mean by this is one chief doing on-scene work when it comes to, like, actually leading on a scene, right, and running an emergency situation, and the other chief doing more of the office work. The way I think about this is it reminds me a lot of the way a career department tends to work, especially a larger career department, right? When you have your actual chief of department, right, your fire chief, who's more on the administrative side, right, when it comes to things, and you have your battalion chiefs, and your battalion chiefs are actually the ones that tend to be, yeah, they, they have administrative stuff they have to do, of course, but they tend to be the people, you know, who are out there actually on scene doing the calls. But your your chief of department doesn't go out and commands the scene. Now, I know this is very different, especially for volunteer departments. They're not used to seeing something like this, but keep an open mind. And so there's kind of two ways to set this up. So you could have one option where you have a kind of dual chief position where they're both the same level. 
I don't know. The more I think about this, yeah, you can set up this way, but I don't think it's the best way because I feel like you do need somebody who's actually on top. Partner situations are great, don't get me wrong, but there can be tension there because no one is actually on top. The The way that this could actually work better is if you had your chief dual chiefs on the outside, but still had your president on the inside who's still top of the organization, that could work possibly um, because you do have somebody who is actually higher um, in the chain of command when it comes to that with your president. So that's an option. But the way I like looking at it being set up is probably the second way where you basically you'd get rid of the assistant chief position. Um, and what you're doing here is more or less a name change. Right? So you turn that assistant chief position into a battalion chief. Right? And maybe you have more than one if you need it. And, you know, and you can also, if you want to, you could keep the assistant chief name. But the assistant chief or that battalion chief, that second level would be the one who's actually running the calls. Right? They're the ones on scenes doing that stuff. Versus your chief of the department who's actually running the entire department. In my mind, you want them to be the structure. You want the person who's running the calls to be underneath the person who's doing the administrative. Simply because in order for a department to flourish, you need to have amazing rapport with the people who fund your department. You know, that that's the chief's job. The chief's job is to make the overall decision for the department and work with those who can aid it in a professional manner. Right? That's It's extremely important to, to have a department like that because that is how your department grows. That is how they thrive. And I think whoever's in that administrative position should be on top because they're going to be thinking of that more. And then the chief, your chief of department doing the, the administrative side, should be a resource for the battalion chief when it comes to on scene. It's not saying your chief of department can't come on scene. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if they come on scene, they should be a resource. Kind of like if you have an emergency manager or some other person that you can call for to help you with resources and things. That's what your chief of department will be doing for your battalion chiefs or assistant chief. So a couple pros to this setup. Um, you know, each gets to do what they actually want to do. A lot of times I hear of different departments where like, oh, I'd be happy to do the on-scene stuff, but I don't want to do the administrative side. Or I want to do the administrative side, but I have no want to do the the on-scene stuff, the commanding. I get it. I totally get it. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. And honestly, a lot of our skills aren't in both areas, right? You can, you can work on your skills to be good in both areas, but naturally as a person, they're higher in one place than another. So I get it. I totally do. And especially if you're doing this on the volunteer side, there's only so much you really want to do. There's only so much that you're able to give up your time for. So it's a lot of work. So it puts less work on each other and it puts less stress on each of those chiefs. A couple cons to this, I'm not gonna lie, this is not perfect. <laughs> One con is there's a chance stuff's not gonna get done. It happens. Another one is, you know, who's actually in charge? Especially if you have them at the same level, like I said. That's why I recommend putting your chief of department, taking care of all of those administrative things above the person who's actually going on scene. Because then you actually do have a clearer chain of command there. And lastly, are they on the same page? Um, are, are they, do they want the department to go in the same direction? Do they have the same vision? Do they have the same values? Are they going to be able to work together well? You know, again, some of this gets taken out if you have those different levels, but they still have to work well together if they're going to be in those top positions. I brought this up to a couple people before, and some people like the idea, and some people just were very honest, which I do appreciate. I really appreciate honesty, but they would just say they don't, they, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And some people would just be very blunt and honest and, or extremely blunt to say, hey, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. This is not how we do things. But why? Why doesn't it work? I mean, like I said, it seems to work on the career side just fine. So why couldn't it work when it comes to the volunteer side? 
And I'm not saying I know everything. I don't. I don't know everything. What is there? Is there something I'm not seeing? Is there something out there blaring that's going to, like, you know, come at me and, like, I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. I've never seen it since I haven't been in those positions. Maybe. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I've never gotten great answers out of people who say that it's not going to work, though. I, it's just more of the, they just haven't tried it and they're worried it's not going to work. And one of the things I've talked about before, if things don't work, if you change your department in a way or add a new, implement a new strategy or, um, not strategy, if you implement a new system or do a new way of doing things, if it doesn't work, you're allowed to change that back. You know that, right? You can try something for a year, change it back. You can try something for two or five years. You can change it back. If we don't have that freedom to change things back, what are we doing? We are, you're going to be so scared to ever try anything new. And we shouldn't be scared to try new things. If you never tried new things, you wouldn't know if something could be better. Right? I don't know. So it's just, it's just a thought with that. Just, I understand this may not work for everybody. But why not give this or another idea I've talked about a shot? See if it helps. Or if, if what I've talked about brings up a whole nother idea in your head, try it out. See if it helps. And if you don't like it, change it back. <laughs> so, you know, would bringing the career setup work in a small town department? In a small town volunteer area or something like that? I mean, on scene could be kind of weird and different, right? Because we're so used to seeing chiefs on scene. And we're so used to, I don't know, we're so used to it, right? We've seen, that's where we've seen anywhere. That's where the volunteer department, that's where the volunteer fire service has been for years. It's going to be kind of weird for a while. Yeah. I don't know. I I hope this was a, a thought. <laughs> I hope this was... I, don't know, I hope this was good for you. I hope this had you think. I hope this had you the entire time thinking of how you do things on your department and the systems you have in place already and things you could make better or things you could try out a different way. Or maybe you've never had a PIO and it's like, oh, that's actually a good idea. Have someone in charge of that. Or maybe you've never had someone officially in charge of maintenance. And you're like, hey, this is a way to get something off the chief's shoulders, off the president's shoulders. Maybe you need someone to keep track of training hours for ISO or something else. That's great to take off the secretary or president's shoulders in the department because they're so busy doing a bunch of other things. Like I said, take this all down to 10 people carrying 10 bricks instead of one person carrying 100. Spreading out the responsibilities in your department is going to prevent burnout, not forever, but it's going to help prevent it. It's, it's going to help boost your morale because everyone's going to finally have a part of the department. They're not just going to be a firefighter that just shows up to trainings and calls and that's it and they go home. They're part of it. They have something to fight for. They have something to make better. Teach your department how to do the easy things at the station and let them do it. And don't get mad if they don't do it the way you wanted them to do it. But they still got it done. Let them take ownership in it. Let them clean up an area and later, if you really don't like things a certain way, explain to them why and see if next time they could do it differently. <laughs> right? Instead of getting mad at them for, for putting something in the wrong spot or whatever it is. Don't make your firefighters afraid. Don't make your members afraid to show initiative and to do things that betters your department and moves it forward. I know this was a lot of talking. I know this was a lot of information. This is actually one of my longer solo episodes. Thank you so much for, for being here to listening to the end with me for it, with it. I don't know. Words? Words are hard right now. <laughs> I feel like I have been talking for a while, so like my words are starting to <laughs> But I think that is going to be all for this episode. And I hope I hope you enjoyed it. If you did like this episode... If you do me a huge favor and you run over to whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, um, or Apple Podcasts, or if you run over to my Facebook page, Couplings Fire Podcast, 
go run over somewhere, give it a rating or review. This isn't for me. This isn't for my ego. This isn't for my satisfaction of getting a whole bunch of reviews. Putting a review in and rating the show helps show it to other people who may like it or need it as well. And if it's something that you actually enjoy listening to, chances are somebody else is going to too. If something I talk about one week makes a lot of sense to you and really hits you in a good way, I'm hoping to do the same to somebody else. If you do happen to leave a rating or review, let me know. I love to hear about it. I love to shout it out. I love to to thank you for it publicly um, and privately, <laughs> right? Anyways, I really, really do appreciate your support, you guys. I will talk to you guys all next week. I hope you had a great time listening to this podcast. Have a good night, day, whatever time you're listening to this, and I will catch you on the next episode. See ya! Thanks for coming by and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time, everybody.